And that is Us and Them by Pink Floyd. What appropriate music, the choice of our featured guest tonight, or today rather. This is actually today. Uh, welcome back to Life MMA in the NBA. I'm your host, DJ San Marco. It is a pleasure and honor to be here today with my two guests. My, my co-host, Dan Warren, is in the house, and we are here to welcome a very special guest. My U.S. Air Force brother, party people, put your hands together. For Jeremy McGowan. Hey, hey. <laughs> good afternoon, Jeremy. How are you? Dude, I'm doing good, brother. You know what I mean? Excellent. Dan? Uh, good to see you, Jeremy. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You as well, man. You as well. Yeah, man. I got two guys here that are very well steeped in the UFO topic. We're going to break it down. Jeremy has a very interesting uh, theory about tic tac if i got that correct and what it's going to result in is that all of you guys are going to realize that he's a lot smarter than i am but that's okay i mean it's not a big deal in fact the other night he gave me some brilliant advice after doing my long distance swim training and i swung my arm into the propeller of a docked boat and sliced it open and i was in the er dan said dj i got a pro tip for you uh, don't swim into parked boats. And you know what? I think that was really good advice, Jeremy. I really do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not good. You know, it's not a good thing. So I'm going to try not to have fat sticking out of my arm after my next ocean swim. But uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, Jeremy presented a very interesting uh, theory of Tic Tac to me the other night. And I thought it imperative that, uh, that we talk about it on the show. And thus we're here. Um, before we, we get into that, do you want to get into that first, Jeremy, or would you like to dive into the story that you were telling earlier, uh, when we weren't on air about Indian point and a, a report that basically you received as it was occurring? I think Dan actually might be stimulated to hear this. Yeah. I haven't uh, heard this one yet. So <laughs> yeah, this one's, this one's interesting. Um, I have a friend of mine who is a retired all source intelligence officer from the United States army. Um, this guy was career military. He was, he was, you know, he did his time and, and got out. Um, really, really smart guy. I actually went to college with him. That's how I knew him originally. And of course, you know, that the more that you're on Twitter, the more people associate you with this topic and things like that. And, and my buddy had seen, seen me on the unidentified show and he was following me on twitter so he knew that i was somehow linked to this world of uh, of ufo and uap so he called me during a encounter that he was having and i ended up taking a report from him while he was on the phone um and the the, the short version of this is that he lives about 15 miles straight line distance from Indian Point Nuclear Reactor in New York. Um, and he had walked out on his back porch uh, just because there was a full moon and he wanted to take some pictures and, and uh, just, you know, generally be outside and, and take some pictures of the night sky. And he saw something that uh, was, according to the report that I took, it's it was basically not flying in adherence to what we consider our known 
uh, laws of aerodynamics and physics. It was, uh, it would split in two, it would rejoin itself. Uh, it would split into three, it would fly in a triangular pattern, it would go back together. Um, it would blink out of existence in one place and appear almost immediately in another part of the sky. Uh, all, I mean, it was just straight up weird. Um, I am a technical writer. Uh, it's what I do professionally. So I write uh, technical documents, technical memos, policies and procedures and things like that. And I was a cop for 12 years in the Air Force um, in Hoorah, right? So I'm not patting myself on the back, but I know how to write. So I put this report together. And uh, at the time, I was, uh, I was still in communication with, uh, with Lou Elizondo, and I gave him a copy of this report. Uh, well, actually, I, I basically pinged him initially and, and told him what I was doing, and he was like, send it to me. So I gave him a copy of the report, and, uh, and within just a few minutes, he comes back and tells me that he had sent it directly to the uh, commander of the UAPTF. He said he had given it, his, his words were that he had provided it to the task force commander um, because I believe that the behavior that was uh, ascribed to this object in the report was most likely something that had been seen before and its proximity to the, uh, the nuclear reactor was, I believe, what Lou was uh, looking at for uh, you know, a potential threat. Uh, to uh, nuclear facilities. And that was one of the genesis reasons for it being sent to the UAPTF. And that was on November 29th of 2020. Um, and then just a few days later on December 2nd, uh, the same guy calls me up and is basically, it's happening again. And I took a second report and the same exact thing occurred. And uh, it went, uh, according to Lou, it went to the UAPTF. Uh, so I'm hoping that when this UAPTF report comes out, we can see the chain of custody. We can see how the report was processed and things like that. Um, and I'm hoping that the report is included in the UAPTF report, uh, just simply because Lou said that he had given it to the task force commander. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the unclassified version of this report includes uh, that UAPTF report or that uh, UFO report that I took. And, and can, can is, I ask you? Yeah, go ahead, Dan, please. Go can ahead. I ask you a couple questions about uh, reporting in general? I, sure. I've heard a lot of stories of, of sightings and things like that, and there's not a lot of consistency in the way that they're retold. And to me, I feel like there should be a conversation that goes on and that we could all say, hey, if you have a sighting, try to pay particular attention to these particular characteristics, where you were, the time. Um, what, what kind of information did you collect when you were taking in his report? Well, I'll, uh, th this, you can't see it cause it's on my, my screen here. Um, but I'll just read this to you. So under the key facts, the way that I wrote this report is I had key facts. I had a summation of the observables. Um, I had a description of the secondary witness. I had it broken down into optical effects and other objects that were seen. And then I had my personal notes. Uh, based on my observations and, and uh, interpretations of what this guy was telling me. Um, so like the key facts, I had the date of occurrence, the time of occurrence, the place of occurrence, all the way down to uh, like 12 digit GPS coordinates. Wow. Um, nearby notable critical infrastructure, 15 miles southeast of Indian Point Energy Center, 
six miles northeast of Stewart Air Force Base. Um, and then the observations of the witness, I'm not going to say his name, but I'll say that um, the witness stated that he walked out onto his back deck approximately 1730 hours on the date noted above and observed with his naked eye a similar object and sighting reported previously on November 29th. Um, so this is how I go in and start breaking down uh, the report. Um, uh, the previous report also reflects on an observed time at approximately 1730 hours Eastern. Uh, as with the previous report, this object was seen coming from Edward, or coming from the witnesses east, which is in the direction of the Indian Point Nuclear Reactor and Camp Smith Army Base. Witness states that the object's appearance was markedly dimmer than his previously uh, previous sighting. However, the movement and speed were approximately the same. As previously noted in the November 29th, 2020 report, the object's movement was the same, wherein it would blink out and reappear in another location. So, I, you know, this is this is how I would take the report is I wouldn't just put a giant paragraph quotation from the witness because witness reports are typically, they bounce all over the place. They don't remember when things happened or when things occurred. So when I take a report, I have to take down their, their verbal vomit. Right. And then I have to go back through and through an interview process with them, I have to correct their statements that they said to put it all in order because they might be saying oh you know you know i was watching this thing and it would zoom from left to right and then oh but before that it came it came so you know i have to go back in and i have to create the narrative in a uh, linear timeline so that everything that i'm putting into the report is actually what happened and not their interpretation of what happened or not a regurgitation of their description um, because I want the reader to have a really good grasp of how things happened, when they happened, and in the logical progression of order and steps of, of them happening. So there's a lot of detailed changes that you have to do in the report without actually changing the facts of the report. One, one of the things that's interesting is this is against the backdrop of the book Night Siege about uh, Linda Zimmerman and her multiple books about Hudson Valley UFO sightings, and uh, least notably the fact that I grew up by Indian Point. Uh, basically, I grew up where this happened, had a wow. sighting, and then this week have talked to at least, well, I've talked to one person. The other person is not ready. I don't have whether or not they want to reveal themselves. So mm. if they do, I'll get that story as well. Okay, here comes uh, Jason Silverberg would like to enter. So let me see if he's got a question for Jeremy. Hey, hey, Jeremy, when you do yeah. take the, when you discuss the observations with them, are you going through the five observables step by step to say, hey, yeah. did you notice any of this? No. no, I will never ask a witness. Did you notice something? Did you notice it doing X, Y or Z? Because that's me leading the witness. Um, so I will simply ask the basically the five interrogatories you know who where when why and 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 how um and i'll have them expand on the ideas and then if they tell me that the object moved from left to right i will qualify or quantify that and be like well was it moving from your left to right or was it moving from the left to right as observed from this other position i i want them to regurgitate to me multiple times what it is that they're saying but i never ask them okay 
And then did you see it disappear or did it blink out of existence? Because I don't want to put an idea into their head. I want, I only want to write down what it is that they're telling me. And I never want to give them key terms or words or something that they would use that they normally wouldn't say just because I gave them the idea. Makes sense. All right. We have, uh, I'm, I'm just chatting with this person out. Uh, is it Forks or Alex? It's Alex. Hi, Alex. Uh, do you have a question for Jeremy? Uh, no. You don't. All right. Oh, this well, is... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> We have a, a cute little guitar player there. All right. We got to have to get him out of there. All right. Uh, that is cute, man. Surprise guest. Right, Good yeah. stuff. Good so, stuff. All right. Starting a musical some, career. Yeah, we had somebody. I know. I love that fact. We had somebody else that was in there named Jason, but uh, he left. I don't know. When I admitted Alex, somehow it kicked out Jason. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, um, so this is all. It, it's really. Uh, I don't know why these things are happening in Indian excuse me, around the Hudson Valley or why this is a hotbed. Do, Dan, do you have a theory as to why it is? It's not the only nuclear power plant we have in the nation. I mean, there's no reason for it not to because if it's tied, if this, what a phenomenon is actually tied to our nuclear activities, it would be apparent to me that it would want to survey them all and not just one or two favorites, but check out everything we've got, which then takes me to what about suitcase nukes that have been reported to travel around the globe? Like, do they know where those are at the, at the same time? Mm -hmm. Do they have a, uh, our technology is allowing us to see things that we can't see with our eyes. Do they have technology that lets them pick up on those types of <laughs> technical signatures? Well, that, that'll actually come into play when we talk about Tic Tac, because we're going to end up getting to the cap point uh, and how, and how perhaps they knew that. Um, Jeremy, do, would you like to jump into uh, Tic Tac right now um, and, and your theory, or, or would you like to go somewhere else? Well, I, I think to, uh, to his point, I, I, I believe that whatever these objects are, um, that they do have an interest in fissile material, okay. uh, nuclear material. Um, we've seen them quote-unquote swarming our carrier strike groups we've uh well we've heard anecdotal evidence of that we've not actually seen it yet mm -hmm. um so we've heard evidence we've seen statements saying that they have swarmed our carrier strike groups we have heard um anecdotal evidence of them uh over our nuclear facilities mm -hmm. uh we've not seen the data but we've heard evidence of this from, from credible official statements from a from credible, credible sources, people, yeah. right um we know for a fact that well again we've been told that this phenomenon has disabled uh our nuclear weapons turned turned them off um and even my personal sighting that i had back in 95 was in close proximity to a, uh, a nuclear device. Um, but again, just like everything else, I have no data to show anybody. So I'm only using that as a, as a personal uh, story that links actions and objects together for me, but I have no way to prove that. 
So I'm, I'm going to ask if you guys have ever heard of any ob, um, sightings or encounters that have occurred near waste facilities, nuclear waste facilities, such as Yucca, Yucca Mountain, I might be pronouncing it wrong, where there's not any active use uh, going on. It's, it's a byproduct. Ha, have you guys heard of any interest from the phenomenon in those types of sites, or is it just when it's actively being uh, harnessed that, that we see them? The only one that I can think of that is uh, an area of byproducts or, or waste products, um, and I think that this might just be happenstance and coincidence, is Catalina. Uh, it was recently discovered that there is an underwater waste dump uh, in, in close proximity to Catalina Island. Is that all those drums that they showed pictures of on the bottom of the ocean, which mm -hmm. is very, very disheartening? Yeah, Very yeah it's nasty stuff. But I believe that is more tox toxic type of chemicals than uh, radiation. I, it, it may be radiation. I don't. I don't real remember. But that's the only one that comes to mind. Is uh, is Catalina? Um, actually, I was typing this out to Dan, but now I can can say it. I mean, um, it it kind of goes to the theory that are they worried about us destroying their our and their natural resource because this planet could just be a resource to them uh, you know whether they're already here or they're coming here um, and it kind of backs up what uh, supposedly those uh, being said to those skill children if in fact you believe that and being that there's enough of them I doubt that all of them fabricated a, a very similar story so um, and it also backs up what Captain Salas, I believe was his name, one of those missileers from either uh, Maelstrom or uh, Minot, said, you know, hey, what the hell are you guys doing with these nukes? We're going to go ahead and show you that we can shut them down. We can let them come back on. You know, we can fire yeah. a beam down in there. You know, we can put them on alert like they're to start a launch sequence that then they needed to interrupt with a mechanical uh, action in order to stop that. So uh it's it's very interesting um i'm i'm sort of very interested of what jeremy's overall if you were to to take this bubble and say this is what jeremy mcgallum thinks is happening what would that statement sound like <laughs> uh depends on what day of the week it is i guess okay well for saturday <laughs> yeah um you know, this, this kind of goes back to uh, uh, what Engaging the Phenomenon, uh, his, his channel had done a couple months ago, where he came out and he said, phenomena or phenomenon, uh, you know, the singular or the plural. And I think that this is a huge mistake that we're all collectively making at various different times, is we tend to, we tend to put too many things in the box of phenomenon. Uh, and I think that we have to gain a lot more baseline understanding of what the natural world is capable of, what humanity is capable of, and what humanity is not capable of, to be able to isolate, compartmentalize, and separate what is potentially us and definitively not us and things that would fall into the spiritual or or uh, paranormal side 
things that would fall into the nuts and bolts aspect, uh, things that would fall into consciousness um, and be able to define each one of those so that when somebody says, you know, I saw an orb, we know what questions to ask to find out, is this nuts and bolts? Is this uh, U.S. anti-gravity tech? Is this foreign adversarial tech? Is this mental illness? Uh, what What is this that this person is seeing? So I don't think, I had, I had a really good conversation with Colonel John Alexander uh, a few weeks ago when we were sitting down over a, a burger and a, and a drink. Uh, he lives about eight miles away from me. Um, and John John said that we don't know enough to ask the right questions yet. So the questions that we're asking ourselves to be able to help us define what this is, apparently we don't even know what the question should be to be able to ask ourselves to make these decisions and understand what's going on. So this is a long way of me saying, I don't have a clue. Well, it, to me, it's shocking to hear John Alexander say that because I know he's been asking questions about this for probably four decades now at a level that we can only imagine what kind of conversations he's had behind the scenes. So well, to hear him say that is surprising. Well, that's also one of the reasons that he's not really in this topic anymore. He's he's switched from UFOs to more of a a consciousness uh, metaphysical type of, uh, of, of thought process, because from my understanding, the Colonel has come to the conclusion that we are incapable of understanding what this phenomenon is. Uh, and until that we've achieved a, a higher level of the ability to process information or think non-linearly it, it's not going to be knowable to us until as a species we've we've increased the processing capacity of our gray matter i I'll and that's, that I'll that goes i'll disagree with him on that um i think we have the capacity to understand if we had the information if we were presented with the information at least on a broad scale maybe not the finite details of how for example, if, if we could understand that uh, this is really, this phenomenon really is something that is from a different intelligence mm. uh, and it is able to not operate under Bernoulli's theorem of flight, of differential pressure uh, and wing forms and things like that, um, we could understand that. I don't know if we can understand how it does it because we don't understand exactly what gravity is. We just know that it works. Right. And that's why. Well, I think I think what the colonel was alluding to is that it's not necessarily just a mental deficiency in humanity that prevents us from knowing what this is, but it is an overall. These are my words, not his. Mm -hmm. It's an overall design flaw in how we're built. We have a very specific type of ocular. Uh, uh, um, uh, not what's the word I'm looking for. You're um, saying that's how we gain. We, we believe we, 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 we take in information that way. Yes. We can yeah. only pro ocular process. Mm -hmm. We can only see what our eyes allow us to see. There are wavelengths. There are, uh, you know, vibrations that are occurring all around us that we have no ability to perceive. That's true. And if this phenomenon utilizes emanates or uh is otherwise dependent on some of these other aspects that we 
we have a filter that is blocking our ability to see this. If the phenomenon is dependent upon things like that, we are limited simply because of our humanity. And therefore we would not be able to understand uh, what it is that we're dealing with because we have no way to perceive what it is that we're dealing with. And that, that's something that Grant Cameron's also echoed as he says that whatever this thing is, it's definitely orders of magnitude more complex than what we think it currently is. So it, yeah. it sounds like the, the more researchers delve into this topic, the more confused they become, uh, which is why this is such an engaging topic. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the ideas of, of multiverses and nonlinear time and, and you look at uh, these, these graphical formula that people put together where time is folded upon itself and that's folded upon itself and it's creating almost like a, 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 a four-dimensional Mobius funnel of recycling information and recycling experiences and things like that. Um, it, it just seems to me that we, we are attributing three-dimensional possibilities into four-dimensional space and it doesn't translate perhaps yeah my brain my brain doesn't wrap around additional dimensions that's that's where i'm a three-dimensional thinker and it's hard to shift gears into other dimensions well we're dealing with such limited information you know we don't have enough information to even process the people that do have the information are not giving out that information which is why i get irritated even if you look at tic tac and gimbal and go fast mm-hmm. we have a limited amount of information that have been released to us and yet somehow someone like mick west can look at the exact same video that we looked at that wasn't there didn't experience in real time hasn't seen radar data hasn't seen any classified satellite data hasn't seen anything and can come up with what it is well, to be fair it's to Mick West, that he can do that. we have we have our equal but opposite people as well. We we have our people that will look at a grainy video of a blurry triangle and come the, to the definitive conclusion that it's not our tech, it's off-world vehicles, and it's proof of alien life. So you know we are yin and yang when it comes into that in in UFO Twitter. Okay. Mick West is a polar opposite um, of of a true believer but I'm not going to fault him for doing the same things, but in an opposite direction that a lot of us are doing on a collective basis here. Okay. Let me put aside Mick West and the true believer. Now I'm going to go to somebody like David Fravor and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say Alex Dietrich or, but she kind of absolved herself. If you listen to the interview she did with Mick West, she sort of absolved herself from being able to analyze what happened because of the limited contact she had with it. What people don't give gravity to is what it takes to do what those guys do as a fighter pilot. They Mm -hmm. are the best in the planet at identifying aerial phenomenon. And when I say phenomenon, I mean either um, what type of an aircraft they're dealing with, what its capabilities are. And if you listen to even a portion of those Chris Leto videos, the uh, former F-16 pilot, I mean, I've got... 10 years of mil 13 years of military aviation and that guy 
when he's talking about that is on a totally different level because yeah. they do something different than what we did in the low level infill exfill world or in the AC-130 gunship attack armed overwatch world uh, or even the 160th uh, helicopter rotary wing world yeah. that are the, the night stalkers are the best in the world at what they do. But none of those groups that I just named are the same as what a F-22, F-35, F-18 Super Hornet, um, F-15, F-16 person does. So the data that I have to work with is very limited. And I have to go off of what a couple of pilots, a Ryan Graves, a Chad Underwood, a David Fravor, said they saw and what they're describing and what they think it is. And mm -hmm. to me, that means a thousand times more than Mick West hanging up doilies in his garage that are backlit and saying, see, I can do the exact same thing. And it's like sure. you're you putting no weight on not only the flight hours, we're talking thousands of hours of ground training and tactics training. And the people who dismiss that have no idea what it takes to get to that level. And they assume that a deity in England that's name is Lord McWest can all of a sudden know more with his limited data while David Fravor had all the data and came to not even a conclusion, came mm. into an educated assumption as to what he saw. Yeah. And yet somebody with less than that can say, ah, guy doesn't know what he's looking at. Well, let me let me play devil's advocate for a moment here. If you go back into my Twitter feed over the past four months or so, you're going to see a lot of tweets that I put out about drones of the day, uh, you know, different types of U.S. tech or Chinese tech. And I'll, you know, throw up a drone that was built in Russia in the 1970s that looks like something that would replicate the San Diego sphere. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put up all sorts of these drones that individually replicate uh, a sighting or a famous case or something like that. And, and I'm doing it for one main reason. I'm doing it to highlight the idea that we do not have enough data to make calls on what this stuff is right if we collect and I'll, this is directly in, in relation to mcwest if we as a community as the ufo twitter community as in the the u.s population at large if we if we allow the united states government to release a grainy blob video of something that appears to be going into the water and coming back out. And we accept it as proof of an unknown aerial vehicle. We are doing ourselves a giant disfavor. So me personally, I want Mick West to rip it apart. I want him to try to separate witness testimony from what we're seeing on the video, because I don't want the, I don't want the United States government to have an easy job of blowing smoke up our butts. If they're going to cover something up, I want people like Mick West to be out there ripping it apart and saying, no, this is obviously X, Y, or Z, not what the U.S. government says. Because I believe 
that will never get the honest truth out of the U.S. government. And if they're going to lie to us, I want them to have to work as hard as possible to maintain the lie. So I want people like Mick West out there ripping this apart to make cover-ups that much more difficult to keep. The voice you're hearing right there is a man who's clearly not very sure of himself, Mr. Jeremy McGowan, who you've seen. On, you can tell we're going to try to he's very shy. We're going to try to draw him out during this interview. Right, Dan? We're going to that's right. We're going to try to pull it out of him. Also joining me from uh, Tennessee. Uh, what what town is it again? It's Cookville. Uh, Cookville. We call it Cook Vegas. So it's similar to where Jeremy lives. A little different temperature, though. And that's my man, Mr. Dan Warren, who I think has an excellent beard. And I don't think that should be overlooked for any of you that have him on podcasts, including my brothers on UFO Garage. Uh, I'm DJ San Marco, your host, and it's a pleasure to have you guys. Dan, uh, you wanted to respond to what Jeremy said. Or did Um, you? (laughs) <laughs> not 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 that particular issue because when you, when it comes to the videos i am not a subject matter expert on analysis of them or like what jeremy is his wheelhouse is military tech and he seems to know where to go to find all the uh little known pieces military assets that we have that could replicate that and i'm just trying to find out from you jeremy how do you investigate the military assets that we have that are so uh rare i mean there's so many things i've seen on your twitter feed that i've said never even knew that existed uh like how how do you find that stuff um well it all right the easiest way to say this is my experience inside government and defense contracting has given me access to certain types of flight capabilities, characteristics, keywords, and descriptions that are used internally by the defense industry, by the government. So words and phrases and ideas um, that I can then search for in the public domain, because obviously I cannot uh, go back and pull something off of Sippernet uh, or JWix and use it as, as proof because those are classified information systems. So what I have to do is I have to I have to try to find something in the public domain that matches a flight characteristic or design characteristic of something that I know exists, but I cannot divulge that it exists, but it may have um, a design or a flight characteristic that mimics something of recent news, right? So maybe it's something that has uh, capability to be on station hovering for 35 hours. I have a list of uh, of military type aircraft that have 35 plus hours of on station capabilities maybe it's but, something that but yeah, not that, that that not that it don't adhere to bernoulli's theorem i have I, I will tell you straight up right now i have absolutely nothing in my list of ingredients for military aircraft that violate uh laws of aerodynamics or violate physics i have nothing What I do have is a lot of things that push the envelope and a lot of people do not understand what is capable of being done with conventional aircraft. I mean, we can do hypersonic flight at sea level. We've done it. We've done that since 1949, but people assume 
that hypersonic can only be achieved at altitude. Well, I saw um, Firefox, so I know that. I mean, I saw Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Clearly, I mean, Eastwood, everybody right? should know that that happened. Yeah. Uh, at this point. Um, we have transmedium craft. I mean, hell, by strict definition, a, a sub-launched cruise missile is transmedium because it goes through the water, it goes through the air, it goes to space. That yeah. is, I mean, we, we have this tech. So what I'm doing is I'm highlighting individual capabilities of the five observables that we maintain in domestic tech. Now, when the government starts releasing, and this is my goal, this is what I want to have happen. When the government starts releasing videos that are actually showing something that is violating the laws of aerodynamics or violating the laws of physics, like tracking an aircraft or traffic an object that disappears here and reappears over there or showing an object that has absolute instantaneous velocity, not instantaneous acceleration, but, you know, zero to a thousand miles an hour without an accelerational uh, uh, portion to right, that. Right. Um, when we see this data, then I have nothing. I have nothing to be able to ascribe to that type of, but we're not seeing this. We're being told about it. We're not being we're given being, that info. We're that not yeah. being given. We have no way to independently verify that a swarm of UAP existed for multiple hours and was going from zero to 80,000 miles an hour with 80, no acceleration. 80,000 feet. You know, yeah, at, they at went from 80,000 to, or actually the one that Kevin Day said, it was like 28,000 feet to 50 feet above the water in 0.79 seconds. Right, so, which translates to several thousand miles per hour yeah. instantaneous velocity. We don't have the data. We don't. So, so we don't. my we yeah me we I do not have we that don't. data. Yeah. So until I have that data, I do not want people, general population, thinking that we do not have tech capable of replicating what we're seeing, because what we're seeing is different than what we're being told yeah that's fair uh that that it well i i would Sorry. say that's fair uh what you've said and actually the navy videos that jeremy corbell released relative to the orbs going in the water are not as compelling as the aguadilla video where you can visually see it on a westcam mx-15 camera the yeah. same ones we had mounted on the gunship when i left service uh active service uh, and so I know all the symbology on that camera. Uh, and you can see that thing go into the water, come out and split into two. Yeah. That is extremely compelling. And even at, I think we ended up being about 7.8 miles on, uh, unfortunately they didn't get closer to it for that last sequence there where it comes out of the water, but it's still quite compelling. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and in all Fairness to Aguadilla, I'm a member of the SCU, the Scientific Coalition mm -hmm. for UAP Studies, and the SCU put together a fantastic uh, scientific breakdown of the Aguadilla incident, um, which in in the SCU's uh, uh, conclusion, it's not our tech. Um, but at the exact same time, there's a, a Twitter user that goes by the name of Flarky, who has come up with a, uh, a, a very well put together scientific breakdown in contradiction to the SCU's determination. Um, so 
I'm not smart enough to make a decision on who is correct. But this is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I, I do not want the job of anybody who is saying that it is definitively X, Y, or Z. I don't want their job to be easy. I want them to have to give us the data. If the United States government is going to release a grainy ass video taken by a Snoopy or a Viper team from a cell phone recording another monitor that had previously <laughs> recorded something from night vision, damn it, give us the data to back that up because I'm not going to swallow what was just sent to me otherwise. And I, Dan, I think you can hear Jeremy has the appropriate standard that we should all have and and do have. I, I mean, I have that standard um, as well. Um, and until that comes out, I won't be satisfied. You won't be satisfied. Dan is not going to be satisfied, right, Dan? You're not going to be satisfied. Yeah, and and I'll throw other folks in there. I think Mick West won't be satisfied. I don't think right. John Greenwald will. Be, and John Greenwald to me is like one of the the most diligent researchers and prove it to me kind of guys out there. So yeah. he's another valuable asset that we have. I don't I'll really put care Greenwald, about Mick West. Green Street. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mick West, John Greenwald, John Greenstreet, Adam Kehoe. I think these are all guys who have gotten a horrible, horrible reputation for being debunkers or disbelievers. But I think that these are the people that we absolutely need to have because collectively they are raising the bar of the type of information and the quality of information that we're going to need to demand because it would be doing ourselves a terrible disservice to look at a grainy ass video and accept it as pure truth without having any way to validate what's being shown in the video. But there's a gulf there, right? Between there's a gulf between pure truth and between and what bothers me about Mick West is not that he is challenging assertion, not that he's done the very, very valuable work of debunking people on the Internet that are trying to fool us with fake videos that are coming to uh, poor conclusions based on fake videos. And then Mick West goes out and says, I can show you how this video is total BS. And, yeah. and I really like that somebody is doing that. Yeah. Here's where I have a problem. First of all, we don't know for 100%, even with David Fravor's testimony. But now you have a guy who looked at an internet manual and says that he knows more about what this person saw than what he actually, than what he knows. And yeah. I have a problem with that. When you take his expertise and you walk over to the toilet and you go to that little handle and you go, <laughs> and you try to flush it down the toilet. That's what that disrespect is some of a problem. And I want to say something else. So I'm not at total truth and belief, but I know aviation. I went through flight school. I sat there and studied this stuff just like Fravor did. Only I'm not an expert at the aspect of it that he is. Mm -hmm. Conversely, he's not an expert at what we did. Right. But this is his arena that we're in now, not my arena. Yeah. And when, I think he, sa when he says... I saw this thing move laterally in such a way at these speeds showing these things. While I can't be a hundred percent sure that I know what it is and nor is he, he's not even saying he's a hundred percent sure what it is. He's saying what it's not and what it didn't adhere to that. We know 
as Bernoulli's theorem because mm -hmm. I could take an RQ4 today and I could sit it next to the right flyer and they fly the exact same way. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely get it. And the tic-tac does not, according to, if I believe Fravor, that he's not according a According to case, testimony. According to without Fravor. Data. Yeah. Without data. And without the data that he's seen or other people that have seen that data, like Kevin Day. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I work with people on a daily basis that were on the Princeton that saw these things, right? And I believe that what they're telling me is factually accurate because I don't have any reason to believe that they're lying to me. However, what I am being told and what I have been authorized to see by the U.S. government are two very disparate things. All I want is I want the visuals to match with the testimony because I don't want our pilots. I don't want our flight crews. I don't want our deckhands. I don't want any of these people to be disparaged and to be said to be lying. I want the United States government to step up and say, you know, uh, uh, airman so-and-so or chief so-and-so or whomever is doing or is giving the testimony to these things. I want the United States government to step up and say, thank you for your service. Not only did you have our back as protection of the, the American people and, and the government, that we have your back. Here is the data to show that you're not fabricating this. You're not a liar. You are absolutely uh, correct in what you're saying. And I want the government to back our people up the same way that our people are backing the government up. So basically, uh, amigos out there, uh, this is DJ San Marco. It's Life MMA in the NBA. And guess what's included in life? UFOs are. Or at least the phenomenon is. So uh, today we brought on Jeremy McGowan, U.S. Air Force uh, law enforcement officer and now tech writer uh, in the industry, as we like to call it. And of course, uh, an engineer and a brilliant person in his own right, and one of the coolest people you are likely to meet on uh, on uh, UFO Twitter. A far nicer person than either Jeremy or I, Mr. Dan Warren. So, <laughs> so um, I, I'm gonna pose this question to Dan, and then I would like Jeremy to take the same question. One of the problems we have, and I posed this to Dan earlier on the phone. Uh, on the phone, uh, I think it was last earlier in the week, is I don't know if Fravor did this. I don't know if any of these guys did this to come up on guard, come up on 240, 243.0 on, on UHF or uh, 121.5 on VHF and just talk to one of these objects and see if it does anything. See if if it if you could get it to, to rock its form, you know, left or right, like we would do, you know, uh, to, to an, an actual aircraft. So my question to you, Dan, is do you think we are in a situation where we cannot make contact with it and we simply have to wait for it to make contact? Or would there be something you would do to try to initiate contact when, for example, Ryan Graves says, I saw him every day going across the Persian Gulf from Virginia. Every day they were out there in the training areas. So I guess that you have to define what is contact with them because oh. maybe they've con maybe they've contacted us and we just don't realize it. Maybe they have reached out to us and we just do not, like Jeremy was saying earlier, we just cannot comprehend. So who knows uh, what what that's 
leading to. I would think they have to be the ones that would initiate communication with us. But it also makes me think about our defensive nature just as human beings. And it, I go to the uh, Colonel Jafar from Iran when he had his interaction with something unknown. Uh, he said his biggest regret, I think this is what they wrapped up the movie The Phenomenon with, um, was that he wished he hadn't tried to shoot at it. Instead, he wished he had reached out and tried to communicate with it via his radio. So I don't think it's in our nature in those high stress situations to try it. It's just like anything else. When you are subjected to high levels of stress, you don't think as clearly as you do in hindsight. So um, I, I think they have to reach out to, to us because we're going to be freaked out and, and, until we hear from them. And I don't know. Our technology might not be what theirs is to where we can even communicate. Like SETI's looking for radio waves out in the in the, the galaxy. Does anyone else use those besides us a long time ago? Like uh, that's probably obsolete now anyway. So, well, my, uh, I don't know is my answer. No, I mean, I, I could just tell you before I pass that question to Jeremy, procedure is if you, ha and so again, like I'm not a fighter pilot. You know, I've never been a fighter pilot, but I know what they're, I know some of their procedures and their procedure would be to come up on guard if they encountered any, un, what they call unknown rider, what NORAD calls unknown riders. They would come up on guard and that if I were on, if you and I were on separate aircraft right now and we were, we were talking on a frequency, but I had guard pulled up and you had guard when they key the mic and start talking on guard it overrides everything everything and they'll come up and they'll say on guard this is so and so so and so request you identify yourself and your intentions etc 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 so that's just a that that's standard operating procedure when you intercept an aircraft is is to come up on guard so, well, is jamming a radar a form of communication? Because that was reported in the Tic Tac encounter as well. Like, it, it, I don't, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I, I, I would, I would love to talk to that Wizzo myself. Let me turn off my. Mitt. I would like love to uh, turn off a uh, uh, talk to that Wizzo, but I don't know if not being able to pick up something on radar or. Um, your radar, you sending out a beam, and then it, your, so we have a receiver transmitter. So I'm gonna transmit that radar out, it's gonna hit the object, and then what I come back could be uh, interpreted as a jam. Might not be a jam, but it might be that that device absorbed that, that radar beam and, and wasn't able to paint it, and our system interpreted that as a jam. Or that you're changing the radar signature to be that of a carrier image or a carrier signal. So you can inject other forms of data in the return, but our equipment doesn't have the ability to discern between what it's anticipating to be a reflected return and That's what what I'm an saying. artificially created uh, return signal. Jer Jeremy just uh, probably more artfully said what I was trying to say. But, That's, uh, but, that, but this is my job as a tech writer. I take... Yeah. I take abstract ideas and I, I put it into words and sentence structures that people get. That's that, that's that, my job. That's why we had you on. It's not just because <laughs> the nice hairdo, okay? Uh, it's not only the hair. I know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm going to be honest. But Okay, so anyway, uh, but 
so I don't know if they were jammed or their the equipment, the receiver transmitter interpreted that as a jam. Um, because well, there, that, there's an there's a theory that I have as well, and I have many competing theories in my head. I love theories. Let's hear it, man. So Woo! this one, this one here, is based on the assumption that we have to take into consideration that that whatever the tic tac was is not us. All right. So that's the basic fundamental underlying assumption. It's not us in this one. Um, perhaps the communication is occurring like we're all discussing, but it's not a broadcasted communication. This theory, and I have not seen this anywhere else. This is, this is mine and mine alone. As far as I know, is that the Tic Tacs have been described as basically a ping pong ball darting all over the place with no apparent rhyme or reason to their position and things like that. What if their positioning and their motion is actually the communication? So we can spell words based on grid coordinates on a map, right? Because we have A through Z, 1 through 30 on latitude and longitude, and we can use those uh, to be able to do, you know, the, the 26 letters and, and a few different prime numbers. And we can create sentences out of that based on geographical coordinates like L1 and, and things like that. What if, what if the Tic Tacs are using a three dimensional grid and they're literally communicating with us based on their positioning? We just don't have the key to be able to understand what it is they're spelling out. It's like a three-dimensional Ouija board. Um, and they're, they're giving us communications. We just don't have the key to be able to understand what it is. Well, I, I think that's an interesting theory because I have yet to figure out how a advanced technology that can fly so fast and so well would have the need to make a right angle turn. Like why wouldn't they, like the shortest distance, uh, shortest path to a dis over a distance is a straight line. Why would they need to make right hand turns? That's some, something I've always struggled with trying to understand. Yeah. So maybe it's communication. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's my, one of my working theories is that they look at our three dimensional space as like a three dimensional Ouija board and their positioning based on, you know, even even maybe using time, how long they're in a specific position is another data point. And we just don't know what the Rosetta Stone is yet to be able to decipher the message. Yes. And I, I really appreciate that you're demanding the full Monty that we get everything that we not settle for something less and then draw conclusions just based on uh, anecdotal information from uh, from David Fravor or yeah. um, excuse me uh, Ryan Graves um, and that we demand that we get not sources and methods but at least get what the uh, the data was you know yeah, they, like not for, how for they example, got it yeah for example you know I'm not saying that when you release the grainy video of a pyramid taken by a Snoopy team that we get all the data from the spy one the aegis and all of our other sensors that gives away our classified information i'm looking for an official summary saying okay our determination based on the data generated from spy one is x y and z or that the radar signature return included or 
was fragmented or did not show or I'm looking for definitive statements, right? Interpretations like you go in for an MRI and the radiation tech has the ability to say, you know, this is this is a lump right here, but they're not telling you how the machine made the determination and you know how many how many uh uh volts of magnetism or however you they're not giving you the the process by which that determination was made they're just saying hey you have a mass on your lung right Mm -hmm. that's the information that i'm looking for i'm not saying that the u.s government has to declassify all this information and you know let our foreign adversaries know what our technical capabilities are i'm looking for the expert that is tasked by the government in briefing the captain of the ship or briefing the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff or the Senate Select Committee for Intelligence, I'm looking for that guy to be able to look at us and say, David Fravor says X, Y, and Z. Our data says A, B, and C. This is the disparity. This is where they agree. This is what we think. And we're not getting any of that. All we're getting is the video that is divisive, that is allowing us to make up our own minds. It is primed for confirmation bias, and it's it, it, it it's crap. And I, I just want to add, I want to add in one more thing about about radar. And I'm sorry I geek out on radar. Being a former talent two guy, um, we're TF radar maniacs. So when people might ask, why did the why did the supposed uh, the object, the Tic Tac, um, jam the radar, but then the Aegis was able to pick it up and, and actually direct them, give them a bra uh, bearing range and altitude to that, that unknown rider, that threat? Well, the energy, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's classified, the, the energy levels uh, that is put out by an Aegis radar. It's one of the most advanced. Just the fact that it can see from 80,000 feet down down to yeah. 50 feet above the ocean. I'm going to tell you guys, I, I got I got some news for you. Uh, the radar at your local airport, RAPCON, can't do that. Um, yeah, no, when I was in the so. Middle East and we had the Patriot missile batteries out there with their, uh, I think it was the old uh, Hawkeye radars mm-hmm. that they were using as, as emitters, mm-hmm. uh, you could literally walk up behind the emitters when they're blasting and take a bag of mo- microwave popcorn throw it over the other side and before the bag hit the ground every kernel in that bag would be popped uh, i i believe i i totally believe that and i've actually walked in front of uh an emitting talent two radar one time by accident I hope that's why boss, you have no hair yeah I, I hope my boss isn't listening to this i felt so sick we were on a maintenance delay and i was lucky that we had about a two-hour maintenance delay because I felt like I was going to throw up for about two hours after walking in front of it. So what I'm trying to say to you guys, the reason I bring this up is because obviously the Aegis radar in a in a, in a big swath, a low power radar, was able to paint these phenomenon on multiple occasions yeah. and actually direct aircraft to intercept. Mm-hmm. But when you have an aircraft that has a, a high energy, high RF signal radar firing out, that that object, whatever it was, saw that as a threat, obviously. And then if we want to say it jammed it, in any case, it, it 
it enabled it disabled that radar's ability to lock but you're talking about a narrow beam and when i say mm -hmm. narrow beam i mean narrow compared to the aegis beam yeah. that is doing like a 360 degree for how god no i don't even know the capabilities of how many miles out that thing sees but long enough to create a very safe net around the carrier group and and then some yeah. um so so that object whatever it was when it saw that it was being painted by a narrow high energy beam of radar took whatever you want if you want to call it a jam maybe to, uh, our receiver transmitter thought it was a jam maybe it wasn't a jam it was just absorbing that signal and not sending it back i don't know how it does that but that's the answer that's uh is a, a theory about why the aegis was able to paint it many times but yet the aircraft with its attack targeting radar was not able to paint it yeah, proximity so, and focus of beam width is potentially Absolutely. interpreted as as a as a threat as a by threat. the object no doubt and it, it's and uh, to me that's that's sort of interesting the cap point we discussed the cap point a little bit I, i've discussed with both you guys the cap point uh in the air force we would call that like a get well point um mm -hmm. or a get well freak if you were doing uh ops with multiple aircraft that get well point or that cap point in the navy would be something you'd read on your mission setup sheet that you'd have that those coordinates it would be programmed in your fms and if somehow you got lost in the weather got lost in formation you would meet at that get well point or that cap and um so that's not something that even the navy would know and that get well point that that cap point would change just based on the movement of the fleet uh, to a different location you know it, it, it's something you designate okay this could be our cap point let's say just for arbitrary it's 60 miles away from the fleet so if something happens you know we're, we're not sitting there orbiting over yeah. uh, various members of the fleet so that's yeah. what a cap point is it's very arbitrary I do not believe a three-letter agency would necessarily know that I don't think uh, the chief of naval operations would have any clue or care what their cap point is uh, for a particular exercise. It's very uh, time. It's very time time sensitive. Where we are right now, this would be a good cap point for us. Boom. Anyway, that's that's my spiel on cap point. Let's answer Paul Reddington's question from Jeremy. I'd like to take uh, a recent tweet about recording, as uh, every it has stirred things up a bit. So. Jeremy, what's your spiel on why you're recording this, the dulcitones that are actually my voice? <laughs> well, so Twitter is inherently terrible for long descriptions. I mean, we're restricted to like 240 characters mm -hmm. and you can never say exactly what it is that mm -hmm. uh, is 100% is accurate. I sent out a tweet yesterday about the fact that I record everything. Mm -hmm. And first off, anybody that takes the word everything at its literal term is is not paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I don't record everything. Mm -hmm. If I am involved in a conversation that is potentially uh, having the ability to change the zeitgeist around uh, ufology or the current belief structure or add or subtract from uh, a potential narrative that is occurring in uh, in U UFO Twitter or or wherever that I record. If okay. I sit down with Colonel Alexander uh, and talk to him, I record that. 
Um, if I happen to be on a 17 hour car drive with somebody who is very prolific in this topic, uh, I record that. Uh, I don't record telephone calls. I don't record uh, 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 private conversations and things like that. Um, but I record things that I think are going to matter. Okay. And the reason I sent that tweet out is because it was basically a shot across the bow to someone who I will not mention, who was publicly insinuating that I was making something up. And that person needed to know that I don't make statements that I can't back up. In contrast to me, who does it all the time. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> if, if I'm giving you my opinion on something, I yeah. will say that this is my opinion or this is my theory or this is this is something that I'm I'm considering. If I tell you that, you know, Frank or Bill or Bob or Jane or Sally or whomever said something. And I'm attributing a quote to that person. You can usually take it to the bank that I have documented evidence of that person saying that exact same thing. So telling me or telling somebody else that what I'm saying is is bullshit or whatever is probably not the best thing that a person could do because there's a high probability that I'll be able to back up uh, exactly what it is that I'm saying. I love it. I love it. Confidence, man. And I'm, I'm glad that somebody actually uh, is record cares what I say. That's excellent. Um, but that can, of, can I throw one thing in here real quick? Yeah, um, I just want to point out that question came from Paul Reddington on Twitter. He is junglist1973, J-U-N-G-L-I-S-T, 1973 on Twitter. Paul, thank you so much for your question. Go ahead. All right, Jeremy, let, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm making the assumption, but I just want you to have the ability to clarify that when you say that you are recording conversations, I'm assuming that you're letting the person that you're having that conversation with know that you're recording the conversations. Not in all circumstances. And I'll, I'm going to be brutally honest. If I sit down with somebody at a restaurant in a public area, no, I don't tell them that I'm recording because there is legally no expectation of privacy in that conversation. Now, if they look at me and say, hey, I want to have an off the record conversation with you, then the recording device gets turned off. But I don't necessarily tell people that, hey, you are being recorded as we're sitting in the middle of an Arby's. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you get into my vehicle, the Osiris. Yeah. I have dash cams that are running. I have GoPros mounted in the corner with very obvious, long, fuzzy covered microphones hanging off of them. It is evident that these things are recording. Um, so I don't disclose that, you know, if somebody gets in my vehicle and, and we drive 1100 miles into the wilderness, I don't tell them that everything that you're saying in this vehicle is being recorded because if, if they open their eyes, they can see three to four cameras pointed right at them as they're in the car. Um, so I, I don't. This brings up a very interesting question, um, Jeremy. What's your go-to order at Arby's? Ooh, beef, uh, double beef and cheddar with oh, um, yes. sauce. The little onions on top of the bun. I love it. Uh, Dan, do you have a go-to order at Arby's? 
I did before I worked there when I was 16 and I got sick from one of them. So I cannot <laughs> eat there ever again. Sorry, Arby's. All right. Well, let me recommend the market fresh sandwich to you. Cause you know, you look like you're pretty healthy. All right. Potatoes, the, the, the triangles, the potato triangles. I forgot potato wedges. Those are the best things going Wait, at Marty's in my opinion. Did you see a flying potato triangle? Oh, never mind. We, we don't need to go there. Uh, <laughs> all, right, so, all right. So, Jeremy, Osiris, bring us up to date on what happened with Osiris, your amazing Skyhub uh, equipped vehicle. And if you want to know what Skyhub is, people, or you would like to collect your own data uh, that will make us all smarter on what's out there, uh, Google Skyhub and they'll get you set up with what you need. How what's going on with Osiris? Well, it's uh, it's currently going under a uh, not a retrofit, I guess. Uh, I don't even know what the word an upgrade. Mm -hmm. um, up until about a week ago, the uh, the primary sensor stack that I had incorporated in the Osiris was, as you mentioned, a Skyhub. Um, I've uh, you know incorporated a lot of uh, disparate type of devices as well as a, a weather station, uh, Geiger counters, tri-field meters, uh, uh, ham radio monitoring systems, ADSB capabilities, uh, all all sorts of things like that that are separate from the Skyhub. But I was reliant and dependent primarily on the Skyhub as the main uh, sensor stack and, and AI processor. Um, about uh, a week, two weeks ago. Maybe not that long ago, um, because of my involvement in another project, mm -hmm. uh, the Osiris has been given uh, probably about six to seven thousand dollars of uh, of new equipment, which includes uh, new pan tilt zoom cameras, magnetometers, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, gravimetric wave uh, uh, monitoring uh, systems. Uh, things that are going to be put in use uh, next month uh, during a project. And as soon as I am legally able to talk about that, I absolutely will. But uh, expect some some major things from the Osiris coming up. That is awesome news, man. That is that is like the dopest thing ever. Um, I want to uh, I want to wrap it up now. It is a Saturday afternoon. My dogs are barking. Uh, they're ready to go out in the woods with me, and I'm going to put on some bug spray. You know what it's like, Dan, this time of year here, my brother. Oh, yeah. It's um, rough right now. Yeah, hopefully Dan is going to be down here on the Emerald Coast. Actually, um, uh, Jeremy was also stationed here. He was stationed at Eglin, so he's well familiar with, uh, with where I live. And uh, hopefully uh, I'm going to be having a beer with Dan and, and talking about UFOs. October. If I can tear him away from his family for like 15 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> what's the can, most, go ahead, brother. Can I ask one question sure, of please. Jeremy? Um, please. your knowledge of mili us military far exceeds mine uh, as far as our uh, inventory goes there. Uh, there's always three things thrown out there as far as what we could be observing. And one of them is going to be foreign adversary technology with your knowledge of the U S the U S inventory. Do you think it is beyond a shadow of a doubt that it cannot be, if it's not the U.S., it cannot be a foreign adversary? Or do you still hold the door open that there is a possibility it could be another one of our adversaries? I, I will answer this two different ways. If we, if I am going to, if me, if I am going to answer this question based solely on video evidence, 
I will say that unequivocally, without a doubt, there is nothing contained in any USG released video that cannot be replicated by conventional aircraft. Not a single video cannot be explained by conventional aircraft. If we are going to take the video in conjunction with witness testimony, that is completely different. And at that point in time, most of what we are being told cannot be attributed to conventional aircraft. However, there is a portion of things that video in conjunction with witness testimony can still be attributed to conventional aircraft. And one of my goals is to really try to lay down a base layer of education to allow people to understand what we are capable of ourselves with nuts and bolts and flaps and ailerons to be able to replicate so that people do not get confused and think that just because something was able to do a sharp turn that we can't do it or that because something was able to do hypersonic at only 10,000 feet that we can't do it. I want people to understand that the five observables are only worth a damn when there's more than two of them together at the same time. And I will agree a lot with what Jeremy said. The only place that I'll disagree with them on. And by the way, we don't all have to agree on all this stuff. I mean, that's what's yeah. great about us being individuals. But the part where the so in the Tic Tac video, I didn't see anything that I can independently say that we have something that can't do. I think the mathematicians can take like a range and bearing on that that um, Tic Tac when it leaves the screen and it, it breaks lock at that point that that. I think, uh, what's that gentleman's name from SCU? It's Robert. Help me out, guys. Powell. Robert Powell. Robert Powell. I think he indicates that the speed at which that leaves the screen and breaks lock is uh, from a, like a standstill is not something uh, that, that we have something that could do that. When you, But really, I want to talk about gimbal. And when you have something that's not emitting any IR energy, for example... If you are lined up behind my aircraft right now using an IR and I put the power in, I took the power lever and put it up a half an inch, you would see that that IR plume expand on, on, your, on your night vision, on your IR camera, on your MVGs, etc. So the fact that we have a device that I think it's not stationary at the time when Ryan Graves saw it but it's emitting no IR signature at all. And then all of a sudden we see that device and it rotates 90 degrees. That part, when you combine those two things, that's about the only thing I've seen that doesn't follow the laws of, of physics or I'm not aware of any technology that we have or anybody else has that could do that. Well, um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, and this is something that Mick West hasn't even brought up yet. Um, we have a technology that has been incorporated into our LO platforms, our low observable platforms for many, many years. Um, I need, I need to, I need to be careful in how I say this. So I don't mm -hmm. break my clearance. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. Um, we have a device or devices or a platform 
that is generally referred to as nozzle blockers. And we have had these incorporated into our low observable aircraft for decades. I know what you're talking about. I, I will tell you now that between nozzle blockers and vectored thrust, we can simulate a hot exhaust turning when the object itself that is putting out the exhaust is maintaining straight and level flight so that the emission that comes out of the object that is being measured on FLIR appears to be pivoting or turning because of vectored thrust and because of nozzle blockers, not necessarily because the craft itself is turning. But it's, it's not following, it's not following Bernoulli's theorem. If, if that, device rotated the way that we see it and i'm not seeing any plume come out of it i understand nozzle blockers because the f-117 has that technology the f the b2 has that technology well the F, you know the f-22 if, has if that we technology. look at things like the rq-170 which is very hard to get information on i will tell drone. you drone it is right. a drone it, it right. is a drone that looks like the b2 stealth bomber it, in in general terms i will tell you that platforms similar in, in pay close attention to specific words here, but platforms similar to the RQ-170, which utilize technology similar to nozzle blockers will make it impossible for at FLIR or FLIR types of sensors to pick up a heat plume unless you are at a zero degree heading. Now, I can't say what the degree mm -hmm. offset would be that would allow uh, that that heat plume to be completely invisible. But if you are at a zero degree heading, you'd be able to see it. There is an offset where you cannot. I understand, I understand what you're saying. I'm not familiar with anything that is can be completely blocked by these systems. If you are, then you're aware of tech that I'm not. But then where I'm going to go from there is now potentially I have U.S. Air Force or three-letter agency tech that is now penetrated and violating a Navy MOA just to show itself. And now here's another part. Not visual. Only picked up on IR. That's another mm -hmm. problem. So we don't have anything that's invisible. And when you ask Ryan Graves, could you pick this thing up visually? He says no. But on IR, he could see it. So now you, we have that aspect. Now we have somebody surreptitiously violated a Navy MOA, potentially creating, with an actual craft that you could hit, potentially creating a Class A mishap for shits and giggles. When I could just oh, book, the, the, when I when opposite. I could when I could just book a test range, and get my F eight get get my couple crews under clearance bring those aircraft out to my China Lake, my Groom Lake, my Nellis, my Tonopah, and I can fly tests till my face is blue. Sure, but I'm going to I'm going to flip it around. At the exact same time that what you're describing is happening, the United States Navy is apparently tracking an object that is supersonic or is displaying supersonic characteristics. And one that not only breaches the MOA, but exits the MOA. And yet the United States Navy does not 
pick up the phone and call Tracon does not that's a allow problem. the information to be shared with civilian airspace and allows civilian airliners and all sorts of other activity to continue outside the MOA, knowing that there is a wild card supersonic that is going in and out of this MOA area. So either the U.S. Navy is completely and totally negligent in the failure to alert close in airspace or it wasn't a threat. That's a that, that's a big effing problem. I wouldn't say you turned it around on me. I think you just as a tangential, very, very important point but we've completed we've conflated two different issues one the supersonic stuff was tic tac the other one that occurred they didn't report anything that i as far as i know they didn't report anything supersonic relative to that um uh the gimbal as far as i know we have no data at all from the roosevelt and i'm i'm upset about that as well that we have absolutely nothing from the crew of the Roosevelt or that carrier strike group. Uh, like We don't have a Kevin Day. We don't have a Sean Cahill. We don't have any of those folks that have come forward other than uh, Ryan Graves. So we don't have anything to back that up. Uh, yeah, and, and normally are- you don't gather you don't gather information when you're surrounded by friendlies. You don't purposely gather and disseminate information if you're surrounded by friendlies if you're surrounded by unknowns if you're surrounded by known threats you're you're absolutely everything is on and everything is recording and you're trying to to create as much intel as possible but if it's if it's your own stuff and you know it's not a threat you typically don't record it yeah and and absolutely those guys saw it as a threat because when you send crews up there not alerting them that that we're testing any branch of the u.s government test aircraft inside a moa that is just not done that's not how you do tests there are places that were designed to test u.s government tech against known u.s aircraft where you bring f-22s or f-35s or f-18s whatever the case may be we have places that we do that stuff we don't do it out in the middle of the atlantic ocean go hey surprise guys we're here try not to hit it don't shoot at it you know, well, that's, that's not, assuming that's, that it's an aircraft. That's what I'm saying is it no matter what it is, if even if it's an OGA platform, you just don't go and fly and penetrate a MOA and take a chance on having it shot at uh something like that. If you want to test that, there are places that that we do that. So I I just I don't think somebody just blew into that MOA and said, "Let's see what happens, guys." That's how well, career, I, I think that, end that way. I think that quite quite likely what you're saying is absolutely true when it comes to conventional aircraft testing, when it comes to extra extraordinary testing, I think that the rules go out the window. I I don't, I I think you can, we have places that you, that you can, and they do do that testing. Uh, There are, there are places where at least in a couple of the cases, I know that that's, that's happened, but there are much older cases, but, there are places where testing occurs that nobody knows is happening. At least one that I'm aware of from sure. uh, in the '80s, uh, but uh, that's how that's how it's 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 done. I mean, you can there's people who have clearances who fly things, who operate things, and you also can put other people there. Not everybody who flies an F A eighteen probably has a TSSCI. 
I would right. guess. Uh, right. But there are a cadre of them who do, and those are the folks that I would uh, engage with uh, a J3 at the Pentagon and say, I need, I need four FA-18 drivers, you know, four backseaters, X amount of maintenance personnel. Yeah, and, and those guys are not going to be flying inside of the MOA outside of San Diego. Exactly. And I need those guys to show up at this particular test range, squawking this code, using this call sign, and they'll get clearance to enter and land. Because when you'd fly over certain U.S. Uh, based test sites and you don't, you're not squawking the appropriate code and don't have the appropriate, appropriate call sign, you get intercepted out of well, places there's like Nellis, for example. <laughs> so. there, there's one thing, there's one pushback that I want to give on, on, on this. Um, let's assume that there are nuts and bolts spacefaring civilizations that are coming and going throughout uh, recent history. And let's assume that the U.S. government knows this. And let's assume that we're looking at them as a threat. Up until basically now, all of our fighter pilots are trained on engaging uh, humanity, humans against humans, right? Blue versus blue. If the United States government or if any government knows that there's something else that exists out there and is looking at it from a threat perspective, if we are able to somehow replicate the flight patterns, the flight dynamics, the, the visuals and the weirdness of this, don't you think that we, very similar to like how we take potential astronauts and lock them in a little cylinder for 45 days to study isolation and, and travel and things like that, don't you think that the United States government wants to be able to develop a system of process and employ this system and process to understand how military pilots react to things that are totally outside the idea of realities? It's, it's, we we it's, want to see how our triggers respond to a target that is not blue versus blue. It's possible, but it doesn't explain what Graves said is we saw these things every day for months going across the med. So now we're into a totally different thing. Now we have to start talking about where are they launching from? How are they sustaining themselves? Sure. Where are they based on? So that though when you when we narrow in on things like that it brings up and christopher mellon spoke to this when you understand the infrastructure it takes to launch one aircraft uh and to maintain it if you believed that we have something that can do right uh, uh 90 degree angles i don't believe we i don't believe we have that technology i don't believe the russians or chinese have that technology yet i don't think I, it's a physical technology Okay. okay. I, I, I don't. It's. I can. I can go outside right now and make a left-hand ninety-degree turn, uh, with a laser pointer, and that's literally you just can. a projection of a beam of light, right? Okay. So that's the plasma. Okay. So, all right. So I mean, we we didn't hear. I, I was going to close this, uh, shut it down. But if you want to give the plasma theory, um, for those of us that aren't that smart, I you know. We'll so this doctor. is. To, to prefix this, this is not me saying there are no UAP. Okay. I believe that there are UAP. I believe that I have seen a UAP. I think that when Ryan Graves says that we've seen these things every day for months, that is indicative of UAP. What I'm saying is that I think that a lot of the most popular stories that we've heard or seen videos of, I don't think those are. Okay. I think that we're being, I think that U.S. tech is being hidden 
under the idea of UAP that do exist. So I think that there's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B happening at the exact same time. And the United States government is taking uh, a, a full advantage of the fact that these UAP are zipping around so that they can use this as cover for for you know unaccounted for special access projects it's possible um, it's and, possible and one given of them, that they've lied to us since roswell if you oh, heard yeah. if you heard lieutenant uh, tim mcmillan from the debrief on uh, andy's podcast did you hear that where he said there's a guy in the government that i met that's been involved in uaps for a long long time like longer than most people would think and Basically, I'm relaying to you this third person. I can't release who it is, sure. but he's told me that Roswell did happen. There was a craft. It wasn't a saucer. The beings were not anthropomorphic. And to some degrees, he said that the objects would make themselves appear different ways to different people mm -hmm. based on their perception. So yeah. that right there, if Tim McMillan said that, he's talking to somebody that he thinks is extremely credible. And that person would have to at least appear to Tim McMillan, another person like you and Sean, trained investigator, um, would have to be very credible to convince him of that. Sure. So oh, uh, we have small scale uh, devices that can shoot plasma. Okay. You know, you, you see people on YouTube making Iron Man suits that have little plasma shooters in them. Mm -hmm. We know that the tech is able to be done i know that there is research that has been done is being done and will probably be continued to be done in the future on basically directed energy weapons that mm -hmm. use a combination of something with the ability to shoot plasma into an artificially created magnetic field so that when the plasma goes through the magnetic field the magnetic field is able to shape and change the directionality of this plasma now this is extremely power consuming i mean we're talking you know mm -hmm. megawatts upon megawatts of power required to do this mm -hmm. we have nuclear powered submarines that have the power generating capacity to do this mm -hmm. so one of the working theories and I'm not going to ask anybody to believe it. I'm saying it's a working theory, which you develop, you test, and then you either prove or disprove through, you know, repeated uh, uh, attacks on you know, with the scientific method. Testable. Right? Mm -hmm. One of the theories is that the United States government or a government has the ability to manipulate plasma charges so that the plasma displays flight characteristics of a three-dimensional object without lift drag and thrust so okay. there's an, an apparent three-dimensional object that is moving all over the place but it is nothing more than basically artificially created ball lightning so visually a person is going to look at it and say it was a bright shiny tic-tac shaped object um magnetically or uh signals intelligent wise you're going to say oh, well my radar kicked back a really strange return i couldn't get a lock on it well you couldn't get a lock on it because it's nothing but charged particles um you know we we have anecdotal evidence of uh people at skinwalker getting hit with uh, uh targeted uh, uh directed energy weapons that cause their heads to 
to or their mm-hmm. scalps to separate from their their uh, their skulls. We have Havana syndrome, which is our U.S. diplomats getting attacked in very similar ways by direct energy weapons. That was uh, Sonic. So, yeah. Sonic so we weapons. have the technology in miniature form. What I'm saying is that we have also developed this at scale. So yeah. would you be able to pick that up on an IR camera, or is that would it have know. a signature? I don't. I don't honestly know. I don't know if it, it would. To me, it's almost like if you're using a magnifying glass to focus a beam of light, you know, when, when this is the magnifying glass and the beam of light is over here at a pinpoint, you know, you're going to be able to feel the heat right here. But if you put something in the middle of this, there's, there's no discernible, uh, 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 signature. You're not feeling the heat because the focus point is so far away. And I, I have heard of uh, directed, uh, energy weapons. I won't say what, platforms that i heard that it's being developed for uh it's not currently in the geneva conventions i think to Mm -hmm. fire to use those weapons which is why i think they're not on certain aircraft right now so i'll leave that leave that alone uh and just say that i just want to say this if if a technology like that were used against fravor now we're out in the middle of the ocean hundreds of miles from shore and the and the navy is not able to detect a platform meaning a boat or ship of some sort that this would be fired from in order to produce that which those guys saw now let's say they saw that um now if they did were able to project something that they could see now the radar said they interpreted what they saw was a jam so now that's a whole different mm. Their RT on their aircraft interpreted what happened to their radar beam as a jam. So now we've had two hurdles that this technology would have to get over to appear as real to these pilots. One, it would have to display that buzzing around the 40-foot disturbance in the water, whatever the hell that was, they said was the size of a 7037. Then it has to be uh, able to cause the... um, equipment aboard the aircraft to interpret that they were being jammed and then number three is intelligently it had to point its nose at fravor as fravor points his nose of the aircraft at the object buzzing around and when he said that i mean that that would be very very scary if for a fighter pilot if you're seeing something and all of a sudden it points it nose it shoots like huh okay Mm -hmm. that thing sees me now this has just turned into an engagement i'm being engaged now as soon as it Mm -hmm. looks at him then when it came up co-altitude and they're doing the the mexican standoff they're going around the circle and then fravor halves the circle takes the radius and that thing goes flying by and then it has to end up at a cap point which again i I mentioned earlier nobody outside of that strike group and i'll Mm -hmm. give that to any flying asset in that strike group is going to know what the cap point is for that exercise yeah and and then it would change when they move 100 miles from you know uh down the coast somewhere so in any case uh i don't i don't think that a a technology could pass all those hurdles that i've just mentioned well keep in mind that when you take plasma and you fire it into a magnetic field and i'm going to read this so i don't misquote it Mm -hmm. that when a plasma gun is fired into a magnetic field, the plasma forms a compact 
geometrical configuration which proceeds across the magnetic field. This is called a plasmoid. Now, plasmoids appear to be elongated cylinders in the direction of the magnetic field. So you don't necessarily have to change and manipulate the plasma itself. You just have to maintain it. And then the manipulation of the magnetic field gets it to change shape or turn or aim its nose. And we know how to control magnetic fields. So, so yeah, so now we have to have something that appears on the Aegis radar, but is able to jam aircraft radar and then well they it, said apparently jam we don't know right i, I, I said I that know. i said that first yeah. i said so that i don't first. know we what don't a plasma ball jam. would return a signal as it Ex could be interpreted as a jam exactly because it's such a foreign concept to to think that you're hitting a ball of plasma with a radar return but but remember what radar sees radar sees i mean radar sees a lot of different things uh because it can see weather and weather is not metal it can see precipitation well, but it sees reflections of itself. It, it, is what sees, it sees it's yeah. It bounces off of something, right. and the way you know radar experts interpret returns, radar returns, and what they saw, Kevin Day and company was something that was a solid object. So now we have to have we're, we're, we have the difficulty of saying this had to be fired from somewhere that the Navy didn't see, that they couldn't interpret was being fired from a ship. They have to be able to intelligently control it, maneuver it like like an aircraft, mm -hmm. but in ways that an aircraft doesn't move, and then be able to know where their cap point was. So there's a lot of different hurdles. I I dig the theory, but I'm gonna have to take the Navy guy's side on at least in terms sure. of what they what Kevin Day with the radar guy who is backing up what yep. Fravor saw. Because yep. the whole engagement Everything that Fravor experienced, Kevin Day and company saw that, and the oh, junior yeah, operator yeah, no, that was sitting absolutely. in front of him. So absolutely, uh, I'm I'm not taking anything away against from a witness. This is this is me attempting to make the United States government's job much much more difficult I because I want to set a higher bar of proof. And they've lied to yeah. us, and and I really dig it, Dan. Let's have it. We got to wrap it up. So Dan, you get the you get the the last word. I, I think what Jeremy, Mick, John Greenwald bring to the the argument is uh, in, a, in the ecosystem that is UFO Twitter, they're the sharks. They're looking at these arguments, and if there's if there's any perceived weakness in that argument, they're going to be able to pounce on it and turn around and say, okay, well, this example is flawed in, in a, a minute way. It's not irrefutable proof. Right. We need irrefutable proof that cannot be uh, debunked in any way, shape, or form. And that's the value that I see in Jeremy and John and all of those guys. That, that what they bring to the table is uh, trial by fire. <laughs> I, I, I dig it. But the difference of what Jeremy's doing and what John Greenwald does and what Mick West does is he has taken direct shots and discounted the experts that are in the Navy and what they saw. That's the difference between what he's doing and what this gentleman, Jeremy, is doing and what John Greenwald does. 
Is I think some of that's a cultural difference from Mick as well. He he doesn't necessarily he wasn't raised or 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 uh, or, or given our proclivities to defending our military uh, because he comes from a different culture, a different age group, a different demographic. Uh, all in all, I don't think he's meaning to be intentionally disrespectful or harmful to people that we tend to revere. I think that this is just his cultural attitude and a difference that we're not necessarily recognizing. I'm trying to think of who wrote that book, the guy who was the instructor at the Naval Academy who wrote that book, The Death of Expertise. I'm, I'm not to, familiar. I'm going to have to Google it really quick. Um, I've seen him on uh, some of the morning shows. Um, Death of Expertise. Okay, that gentleman's name is um, Tom Nichols. He was uh, a teacher, professor at the Naval Academy. For, for many years, I, I think he's retired now. And so if, 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 if Mick West can just look at what these guys said and say, basically, you don't know what you're looking at, then that represents to me the death of expertise. That someone can spend what Malcolm Gladwell calls the 10,000 hours to become an expert on something. And when I say 10,000 hours, I don't mean 10,000 flight hours because in a fighter jet, Holy shit, your career would have to be like 30 years. But between ground training, tactics training, uh, intel training, and flight training, those guys are easily, someone like Fravers, ease over 10,000 hours on, on, on all, the, all yeah. the training they do where they're sitting there doing all this business like with uh, in Top Gun. That's I don't, I don't think it's a death of anything. I mean, you know, you even look at murder cases right now and we have a court system that will bring in two forensic uh, uh, pathologists that give two completely dissenting opinions. And, you know, they're both experts in this. They both look at the same evidence and they both walk away with two totally different stories. Right. Uh, in this case, for, uh, uh, Mick West is just not a fighter pilot. Uh, yeah, right. He has no expertise. He wasn't there. He doesn't know how to operate the systems. He mm -hmm. hasn't been trained. And yet he can discount somebody that has all of that. So his opinion, well, he's not going to be called in front of Congress to testify because they're going to say he's not you're not a subject matter expert. You're, no, inter, right. you're we, an Internet we guy. Need an, we need another pilot. Yes. To counter. Yes. Please. The arguments. But the problem yes. is we're Bring not me get another that. pilot. But we're not going to get that because in the military, you know, as well as I do, I might hate your guts, but I've got your back. Well, OK, the fighter pilots, I, well, I can tell you from my career field, there was a lot of eight uh weed our own type which i hated i mm -hmm. saw less of that amongst the pilots than i did against flight engineers yeah but we're, we're not going to go up in public and there's not going to be a, a another alex dietrich or another ryan graves or david fravor that has the same experience the same expertise that comes out and says that these people are lying or they're full of shit because the united states military will back the united states military i might not like the guy in the foxhole beside me but i am not going to let him drop uh without me jumping in and, and pulling him back up so for us but to I be able to get another fighter pilot with the same expertise to counter it it, you know, it's going to have to be somebody from from uh, 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 China Force. or Russia or, or Israel or somebody that's not in our military. Well, moreover, I think what they're going to say, what what an expert would say, what someone who is a SME in another aircraft, an F-22, an F-35, an F-15, F-16, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to say, OK, this is all the information that I have, which is you, Dan and Mick and I also the same thing. Fravor actually saw it 
and engaged with it and he has the radar data and he saw the e2 hawkeyes data to back it up that yeah. also saw it so in the absence of that they're not going to be like an idiot like him and come out and say he doesn't know what he's looking at because he has the same thing we do the other pilot is going to say, so that's what I'm talking about, the death yeah. of expertise. You don't no, know you. shit, you. and you're saying this guy doesn't know what he's looking at, and you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, He knows yeah. what he saw, and he has data to back him up. You have none. You have three videos on YouTube. Yeah, we need an apple farmer to Thank judge apples. Exactly. That's <laughs> why you will. I guarantee you, I'm going to make a statement right here now that I am willing to stand on till the end of time. Okay. You will not see Mick West on, on the floor of the Senate or on the floor of Congress speaking about this issue because yeah, no. he's not a subject matter expert. He is an internet guy who's looked at the same three videos that the rest of the, the billions of us have looked at. Yep. I, I agree with that. One love to... Okay, so Jeremy McGowan. Jeremy, tell people where they can find you about your work. Anything that need, people need to follow about you because you're a brilliant person. And very oh, God, reasonable. don't follow me. Don't follow him. Follow him. I am not an expert in anything. I'm an opinionated jerk who uh, who says what I feel 98% of the time. Um, and I acquiesce the other 2% of the time. Uh, do your own research. Mm -hmm. Make up your own minds. Gather your own data. And, uh, and contribute to the disclosure effort without relying on the United States government to spoon feed you anything. And beware of false prophets out there. I yep. am the Fredo, I am the Fredo Corleone of UFO Twitter. Uh, I, I wish Jeremy would play that. Since I can't get Luis on here, you could be Michael Corleone. I'll be Fredo. We'll do that last <laughs> scene in The Godfather 2. <laughs> Dan Warren, <laughs> where can people follow you? Talk to me, brother. I'm on Twitter as Dan Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, so it's pretty easy to find me there. Uh, but I also do my TikTok videos, which I contend yes. are are the highest density of information per time of any UFO in data out there. I'm, I just try to pack as much of it in into 60-second segments as possible. And I'm the fifth pillar of emphasis uh, at uf on twitter uh not twitter TikTok. but if you just search ufo i'm like the one or two number top uh, top results can i get an amen i love it it was so much fun jeremy i hope you'll come back and talk to me again and be the michael corleone to my fredo <laughs> anytime <laughs> if you would and dan warren and pink floyd is going to take us out so for jeremy and dan this is dj san marco for life mma in the nba saying peace out one love, and I'll see you down the road. Enjoy. See you guys.